Welcome to Women Wanting Women, a podcast where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, Jordana Michelle, lesbian love coach and matchmaker extraordinaire. You can learn more at jordanamichelle.com, where you will also find awesome free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and since I'm passionate about matchmaking and I might already be friends with the woman of your dreams, I also have a free survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind for the women that I'm continually meeting through the work that I do in our community. All of this is free at jordanamichelle.com. But in the meantime, I have a question. Do you ever notice little old couples walking down the street together hand in hand, like super old people who clearly have spent their entire lifetimes together, and now at the end of their lifetimes, they're still holding hands and hobbling down the street side by side? That's one of my favorite things in the world to see. But 99 times out of 100, when we see couples like that, they're heterosexual. Because up until recently, being out was dangerous and being gay was extremely challenging for older generations. And that's actually still the reality in lots of places in the world, unfortunately. Now, I live in New York City where women can be together as partners and lovers openly and safely and proudly if they want. And by the time we're old ladies, hopefully, you know, we'll be hobbling around next to each other, holding hands and giving young couples something to look up to. But for now, women like us don't have a lot of strong examples of long-term, deeply loving, functional relationships between two women that we can look to for an example of what's possible. When our heterosexual friends make lifelong commitments to each other, they have examples all around them of relationships that stood the test of time till death do we part. But even though we know in our hearts that we could love just as deeply with the same kind of long-term commitment, there isn't the same kind of physical proof all around us, and that kind of sucks. And so what I think is really special about this episode's podcast is that you're going to get a really deep inside view of what a super evolved same-sex female couple looks like. Now look, they're not even remotely old. These are young people, but they've got deep wisdom and amazing practices that keep bringing them closer to each other and more deeply in love than these are, and these are things we can all benefit from. And in this episode's podcast, we get to hear all about it. My guest on the podcast is Kelly Madrone. Kelly Madrone is a freelance writer, writing coach, and speaker. She's published two award-winning self-help books for teens, one of which, GLBTQ, The Survival Guide for Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender, and Questioning Teens, is about to be in its third edition. She's the author of more than 100 published articles, and her work has appeared in outlets including The Advocate, Curve Magazine, Massage Magazine, the Goodman Project, and she's been featured in the Washington Post, BuzzFeed, and Medium. Kelly's latest project is focused on creating safe schools for LGBTQ youth, and to learn more about her incredible work and the ways that you could support her important mission, visit kellymadrone.com, which you can find in the links to the show notes below, and I'll also have links to her social media there. Kelly and her wife, Mala, together are probably the most evolved, emotionally mature, same-sex female couple I've come across. And during the interview, Kelly shares with us some of their really powerful strategies, including the trick to being comfortable being single so that you could hold out and not settle before meeting the one, the trick to not putting up with flaky behavior from women you're dating, 
the trick to handling a woman when she's angry so that you don't end up hurting each other's feelings, and the trick to starting uncomfortable conversations with the person you're dating in a way that won't make her reactive. So if you're single and dating and want some incredible strategies, then you won't want to miss this interview. And if you're already in a committed relationship, this episode can help make you a way better partner. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Kelly Madrone. Thank you, Kelly, so much for being here. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Um, it's great to see you. Great to hear your voice. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So um, we met through a mutual friend uh, like around, you know, eight, nine months ago and had this great conversation. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish that I had recorded that because it would have made for a great <laughs> podcast at the time. That was time. a good conversation, yeah. It was a lot of fun. So I made rounds. <laughs> of time we covered a lot of ground we went all over the place for <laughs> sure um so hopefully we can recreate some of that i'm excited I, we pulled around i pulled together a few topics i'm excited to ask you about um and i remember one of the most interesting things that we talked about was about your wife and mm-hmm. um so tell us a little about her and let's and like let's go back into that okay so um mala is God, we've been married for what, three years now. I don't want to get in trouble and say the wrong, (laughs) say the wrong number, but we've been friends for many years. Um, and we, we were best friends for a while actually. And so, you know, we told each other about our loves and our, and our heartbreaks and she got to shepherd me through a, a really, really terrible relationship and a really, really terrible breakup. And, and she kind of had some, some of those similar things on her side, but the catch is that she was straight. So these are all relationships with men and, you know, I'm dating women and, um, we just got to be really close and somehow at some point something in our relationship shifted and we realized that there was, it wasn't just a physical attraction, um, which was, you know, all of my lesbian friends used to give me a hard time because they was like, there's no way that you're not in love with her. I mean, she's gorgeous. She's this, she's that. And I'm like, no, I don't feel that. I don't feel attraction to her. She's like, you know, she's my buddy. I never look at her that way. But then something did happen um, that wasn't just based on physical attraction. It wasn't that we realized we had this physical attraction for each other. It was more. It was. It was broader than that. It, it was like somehow all of a sudden it felt like we were matched in some way that was beyond friendship. And so, um, I was actually we we took some time. We took a couple months talking about it like exhaustively because we were so protective of our friendship that we didn't want to ruin it. Uh, if things didn't go well, if we tried this romantically and I was actually way more resistant to it than she was because of the age old, like we're, this isn't going to go well or she's going to, she's just trying this out and she's going to end up, you know, going back to a guy because that's what happens, <laughs> right? That's what always happens. Um, so I was actually way more of the holdout, um, than she was. Uh, but we both kind of decided that it was, uh, it seemed like a force that was a little bit bigger than we were. And as much as we could, we decided that if we could try to be good stewards and re- and keep our friendship, you know, first and foremost, we would at least see what this was and explore it. And it just ended up being kind of the, the coolest, um, most centered and like rewarding relationship I've ever had. And so we, we, uh, I, got, got engaged, you know, a while after that, God, how long was it? It was a year. And then we got married the year after that. And then the year after that, she had our daughter. So we have a two year old. So yeah, I'm, I always joke that I married a straight girl. Um, 
<laughs> but you did, I guess, right? I did. I did. And I like to tell people that, you know, um, my joke is that as a, as a lesbian, I've spent so much time trying to convince straight people that we're not out. It's not possible to convert people to be <laughs> yeah, like, we're not after your girlfriends or your wife or whatever. It's like, well, okay, maybe just this one. <laughs> uh, that's it's interesting right because you know I would have been scared too if I were in your shoes you took a huge risk it was a big risk yeah it felt like it um but that tension that must have been going on for those months I mean how many months was it when you like started uh, to, to talk about it we talked about it probably over it was at least I think it was at least two months and there was like stuff happening in there. I mean, we were, we were like, we would, we would be talking about stuff and then we'd end up kissing. I mean, so there was like, there was definitely <laughs> attraction and everything, but it didn't go farther than that. We were really kind of, um, mindful of, of kind of how we proceeded and how carefully we proceeded and everything. So I don't know, it was probably about two months and, um, until we really sort of, got into it. And she, you know, went to her family and said, like, I'm really have deep feelings for this person that are more than, you know, they knew me as her friend that are more than friendship and we're going to start dating. So that's crazy. Yeah. And, and how like intense it must've been during that time is absolutely ridiculous. Um, oh, it was insane. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but that you really ultimately went for it is, is crazy. It, I mean, it's, it's awesome, but, um, we are taught to be afraid of straight girls. Yeah. It's just kind of that common idea in the lesbian community that you never can trust a bisexual girl right. because she's always going to leave you for a guy. Right. Right. Yeah. And it took me a long time. Um, I'll be totally honest. It took me that it's so, um, deeply ingrained that the male female is kind of the ideal for one and, and for two that, that yeah, bisexual women can't be trusted. They're always going to dump you for that guy. Um, it, it took me a while to become secure enough in our relationship that I wasn't kind of thinking in the back of my mind, like she, I bet she probably wishes that I was a guy like that. I was exactly me, but I was a guy, you know, cause she must miss that. I mean, that's her, that's been the totality of her experience there was nothing that she didn't like about being with men, you know, so it wasn't like, Oh, you know, I, this is the thing I haven't tried. And now all of my questions are answered. Um, so it took a lot of talking and being in the relationship and just letting myself experience that and let, letting myself let that go. Um, and just be present in my actual relationship. But there's a, you know, it's like you said, there's a reason that that's a stereotype. It does happen. It, it has happened a lot. So, you know, <laughs> it's just amazing. You were brave enough to let yourself love all the way in that kind of an environment. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, brave or stupid. I don't know. <laughs> you know, no, like, this, and the funny thing is that I look back on it and I'm very aware sometimes at how hard that was. Like I remember, I go back and I remember how close I was to not letting myself do that out of fear. And it was very close and I could have like not had all this. And so I'm not telling anybody who's listening to just go profess your feelings to your straight friends <laughs> or to like give that. Right. Cause that's definitely not the takeaway here. <laughs> it was very, it was very person specific and situation specific. It was more that that was kind of the nature of our friendship is I trust her so much. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons we were such good friends is she's so trustworthy and she's so, um, 
careful with other people's feelings. I mean, I just knew that if it didn't work out, it wouldn't be because um, she was being careless or kind of laissez-faire, like, to use that expression, <laughs> um, about about it. Um, that she was, if, if anybody, you know, who I could trust with something like that, it, it would be her. So I knew that she always would put our friendship first and foremost. And we were truly going to kind of walk into this together, both leaning in equally, so... And that's really beautiful that, that you were able to at least trust her. But, you know, that doesn't mean that, that you wouldn't get your heart broken at oh, the yeah. end. So it still required a lot of bravery on your end. Yeah, it was a big gamble for sure. I was I was kind of certain that it, that it would end up like that somehow. <laughs> but I was willing to give it a shot. If, if it felt like there was a 5% chance that it would work um, for her and because of the incredible person she was, I felt like it was actually worth the risk. But, yeah, it was still terrifying, definitely. What I also find, though, is that there are a lot of lesbians I know or women who identify as lesbians who would never do what you did, and yet they're still single and lonely. And so, you know, if there, if there's some sort of middle way where you can, you know, find that trust, find the right women to trust, because I'm sure that there are plenty of women out there, like your wife, who would make amazing partners for the right woman. And so for both of them on both ends to be um, stuck in their loneliness and in their unwilling and, and, you know, lesbians that would, that would find such a good partner in, in these, you know, non-lesbian identified humans um, to be blocking themselves from love in that way. It's, it's sad because you know that there are these two women right now that are just aren't going to find each other because of these beliefs that are ingrained. It's true. That are, are really not serving us, blocking us from love. Yeah. You know? it's, no, it's, and it, I totally agree with you. And it's kind of interesting that you, you, put put it just like that because I just did um the new edition you know I did um a book called GLBTQ for for um gay teens gay lesbian bisexual transgender like you know GLBTQ teens and I just rewrote the introduction um for the this new edition for the book and and since the last book you know I've met Margaret we've you know done our thing and and I talk a little bit about that experience relative to today's young GLBTQ um, teens, because as a group, broadly speaking, they're so much more open about ideas of gender and sexuality. I think then, at least in my generation, when we grew up, you were like gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. And now there's a lot more openness to fluidity. Um, and I think uh, my ex- if my experience with Margaret has taught me one thing, I would say that it is this idea that if we allow ourselves to love with our full hearts and be with what's present rather than imposing labels and imposing stereotypes and imposing ideas, um, really incredible things can happen. And I think that's true in like love relationships. And I think that's true with, you know, world peace as well. But if we learn to stop judging things based on, prior experience, which, you know, evolutionarily we do that for a reason and it's good, you know, like don't, don't go over there. That's where the bear lives. We want to learn that. Um, but we tend, I think we tend to put that in overdrive and we tend to over apply, um, some of those things. So if we can find that balance and, and when you do recognize the person, because it is so person based that it might be that you might be able to trust, you know, your heart with, that it might be worth dropping those those preconceptions and exploring it. 
Yes, and also with the caveat that I've seen plenty of friends of mine be totally delusional about the straight girl they are obsessed with, or you know, even just you yeah. know, I've even had how many of my straight friends have hit on me one drunk night? I don't, I don't even think that there's a way for me to count. Um, or told me, oh, I just wish I was a lesbian. It would be so much easier mm-hmm. if I could just be with you. Uh, and I know they don't mean it, and they like guys, and I don't let my heart get wrapped up in it, and and. You know, so given your story, there's still, but there, there's other evidence around why that wouldn't be the case. You know, knowing I know what a real connection is, and I know that that's not what we share. Yes. Um, But it sounds like with you and your wife, you had this deep, unbelievable connection that was better than anything you had shared with anyone else. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a one drunk night story. You know, like we were friends, and then one drunk night, and then then we were together, and and that's a big difference. You know, I think in in why why we worked out for the for the long term. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's complicated. I think it involves, um, yes, yes, the choice is a safe choice. You know, it, it's a possible choice to date bisexual women, but the right bisexual women, you know, who are evolved. It sounds like your wife is super evolved. Yes. Um, and just an amazing person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've met, like I said, so many incredible bisexual women that would love to find love with the right woman yes. if, um, if only there was the openness. So, yeah, and um, I think there's another, definitely there's needs- another component too about the risk taking, which was at that point in my life, I was capable, I was able to take a risk because even though it would have been shattering if it didn't work out, I did have faith in myself that I had the resources that I'd be able to recover. And if you're not at a place like that in your life, if you're feeling really precarious and you're feeling like you don't have those resources, you're battling depression, like any number of things, that's probably not the time to take a huge emotional risk, I would say, generally speaking. So it's like, it's that picture on your side as well. Like, do you feel like you've got some self-esteem do you feel like you have some support do you feel like you have some resources um like you're in a good space um otherwise you know aside from looking for love and wanting to find that partner um do you feel good about yourself do you feel like you know and i'm sure that you you talk about that to people as well yeah it sounds like you were sufficiently whole and uh self-developed and ready for whatever yeah and that's kind of that's kind of the puzzle piece that's missing in the story as i tell it is is um I had come out of a bunch of really terrible relationships. I was like the serial monogamist and then went on this wild dating spree where I dated all these women. And it was really my friendship with Margaret where she was just, she was happy to be by herself. I mean, she could have dated um, any number of people at the time she was, she was single. She did have this kind of on again, off again thing with this guy, but she was like, I'm taking myself out for a date Friday night. She had no problem. She loved being single. Um, She would hold, she would hold out for the right person and that was something that I really learned from her was really being comfortable being single. And so once I got comfortable being single and I was truly happy, that was when that was also then the time that things switched with us. So it's like the me that I was before that, I wouldn't have been able to handle the relationship with her. Like I was too, my priorities were not, were not healthy. I wasn't taking good care of myself. I wasn't enjoying myself enough. So it, you know, it, things switched when they were ready. Things became you know, it's like the teacher appears when they say the teacher appears when you're ready to learn. Um, you know, they say like when you're healthy and you, you know, necessary, it's not that you should stop looking for that and being open to it, but some shifts needed to happen on my end too, or, you know, it wouldn't have worked out either. Yeah, absolutely. I met my partner when I was not in a place where I was looking for anybody, but it is interesting. Um, because, how do you advise someone how to get to that place? It sounds like you had done some great inner work and she helped you through some great inner work. Um, can you talk about, 
you know, what are some, if you had any uh, advice to offer people who would love to be able to say that they weren't, you know, like just, you know, feeling that ache for the one? Yeah. Um, I know how hard it is. I know how hard that is to, to shift in a place um, where you're not looking for that when you actually really, really want it. You know, it's like you're almost playing, you're almost trying to play a game with yourself of being like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look anymore. Okay. Now is she here? Now is she here? You know? Right. Right. Totally. It it really is about, um, getting to that, getting to that space where you actually really like yourself enough. I mean, I remember the first time, this is a really good example. I remember this, 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 um, woman who I had met at like Baltimore pride or something, um, was calling me up and asking me out. And she, um, had some really like kind of sketchy behavior early on that I know the old me would have looked past. And I mean, it wasn't like super sketchy, but it wasn't the most, like she wasn't, she, she didn't, we had set up a date and she didn't return my call or like, you know, follow through with what she said she was going to do in terms of like getting the tickets to do this and that. And it was just like kind of lame on her end. And I could see those sort of low effort. And then when it was like time to leave, she calls me and is like, Oh, you know, when should I pick you up? And I'm thinking, you didn't even call me to, to, to set this up. You know, like <laughs> it was just early warning sign, big time, early warning sign. And I know that old me would have been like, all right, fine. But you know, she's cute and whatever. And we'll just go through with the date. But, but I started to get to the point where I got picky and choosy and like, no, actually, you know, it's not, doesn't mean she's a bad person, but this is an indicator of where she is. And this, this is not where I am. So this is probably not going to work out. And I said, Do you know what? I, I appreciate your interest. I just, just from this interaction, I can tell we're not on the same wavelength, you know? Um, and it felt so good to just be like, nope, pass. Nope. That's okay. And it's not about ego. It's not thinking that I'm like better than somebody else, but it's about like, I being clearly able to identify like, that's not for me. That's not where I am. You know, like I want somebody who's ready for this or who, who does this, um, who behaves that way. And when you kind of start to live like that, that's, that's like who you attract. It's, it's true. You have to feel worthy of, I mean, we all know, and I've done a ton of times myself, people who put up with this really terrible behavior from other people. Um, and it's not saying the other people are bad or whatever. You might not be in the same place. You're not looking for the same thing, whatever it is. Um, if you kind of lower that bar and you, and you let people do that stuff, that's what you're going to get honestly. So holding out and really respecting myself and and holding out for what I was looking for and how I wanted to be treated and saying, you know, like until then I treat myself better than any of any of, you know, those people or, um, so I'm cool hanging out with myself and my friends. Um, and that was when it really shifted, you know, and it was very empowering just to be like, Oh no, you know, you're not really what I'm looking for in a, in a, in a loving and kind and respectful way. Um, so it, a lot of it's about self-esteem, you know, and a lot of it's just being honest with yourself. What am I looking for? What do I feel worthy of? I, you know, we could get into, we could go down the rabbit hole of talking about worthiness and of being feeling worthy of love and belonging. That's a whole other topic, but you know, it's that kind of work. I think that gets you there. I think that's amazing. And I love the way you say all of that. Um, and it definitely brings me back to those days of dating and there's no shortage in our community of women who totally flake out. Oh yeah. Um, you know, don't rise the level, don't, 
Um, I have actually, I have a really great anecdote. If you, if you want to hear it, this is, this is, I would love to, this is when I was getting, this was a fantastic opportunity for me to get to exercise these new brand new muscles that I had. So, um, I, it was like, I don't know what it was, match.com. Okay. Cupid, one of these places I had set up, you know, this woman had, had asked me to meet her for a drink. And so we were from different towns, but they weren't that far away, maybe 30 minutes. So I'm there at this nice restaurant down the street from where I live and I'm having a cocktail and she's, I think we're supposed to meet up for late, like a drink at nine. And so it's like, it's after nine, it's nine Oh five, it's nine fifteen, and I'm checking my phone and I don't hear from her. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to wait till nine 30. Cause I'm, I'm not, you know, I'll just finish my drink casually. If I don't hear from her, I'm just going to take off. So it like, I asked for the check at like nine 25 and it was funny because the waiter's like, don't tell me you got stood up. I'm like, yeah, I, I think I kind of did. Um, then he was funny about it. And, uh, she, t- she finally texted me and she's like, Oh, Hey, sorry. I'm a little late. I'm on my way. Or no, she's like, sorry, I'm a little late. I'm going to be leaving in 15 minutes. You know, and it's already, she's already 25 minutes late. I just got caught up with some friends. And so right away I'm thinking, okay, this is not how I want to be treated. You know, this is your first impression. This is the first time we're meeting. You got caught up with some friends. It's not like your kids in the hospital. Obviously there are reasons that people could be delayed that are valid. Um, you lost track of time. So that shows me what value this held to you meeting me. I didn't take it personally. She doesn't know me. So I didn't take it personally, but I said, you know, actually that's okay. I'm going to go ahead and head home. And she was like, no, no, wait for me. And I said, yeah, I've been, I said politely, I've been waiting for about half an hour. Um, you're clearly having, you know, fun with your friends. That's fine. And the, the, you know, I was genuinely saying this like with no attitude at all, I'm just going to go home. And so the, she proceeded to just like, just light my phone up, please come back. I really want to meet you. I really want to, you know, I'll, I'll buy you a drink and you know, all this other stuff. And I'm just like, no, that's okay. You stay with your friends. She, she could not accept my no. And so at one point I'm finally like, okay, look, I'm, I'm home. I'm on my couch. I'm in my pajamas now. I'm going to watch a movie. Like it's, it's fine. I'm having a nice night. Um, and she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then she says, this is why my like ex-wife or whatever, her ex-girlfriend left me because I couldn't make commitments. I couldn't be on time. I so she ends up like pouring her heart out to me <laughs> and it turns out, and I'm telling her, well, maybe you're not in a space where you're meant to be in a relationship. Maybe this is something that you need to work on and figure out where this goes. So I'm like counseling this woman. <laughs> it's amazing. But, but what it told me was my instinct was right. She was, and she's like, no, I think you're actually really right. I probably am not ready for this. And, you know, I have to figure out what this behavior is telling me. But my initial instinct of, okay, this isn't how I want to be treated. This is, this is telling me what I can expect from this relationship was dead on. And so it felt really good to be like, okay, I wasn't mad about it. It was like no harm, no foul, you know, whatever. Um, but it's funny because I ended up giving her like relationship counseling over the fact that she, you know, kind of stood me up. <laughs> I love it. That's an amazing story. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, women are interesting, but I'm so happy for you that you found such amazing love. Um, so there was, um, some that we, we've gotten into some funny conversations and, and one of the things that we were talking about was, uh, political correctness in our community Yes, and kind of the anger, you know, the, the, the energy behind that, you know, um, like, 
it's almost impossible not to piss someone off. It feels like to me yes. when it comes to, you know, trying to say anything. Um, what's your, what is your position on it? And I, I could say some things that I think about yeah. it. But. Um, I am very much, it's, it's funny. I kind of, I feel like I live in both worlds. I'm big, I'm very big about holding concepts that seem like they're mutually exclusive as truth at the same time. So in this, in this way, I would say that I try to be really very open and respectful of people's feelings about whatever it is that matters to them in terms of their language or, or whatever that's important to them. And at the same time, I feel like we would all benefit from lightening up about some things, about not taking it so seriously and so personally. And so I'm not trying to, you know, but I think they're both true and valid. I'm not trying to dismiss anybody's um, right to want to hear the language that they hear. But at the same time, if you don't get that, I don't think that there's a, a real benefit from tearing people apart over it in anger. Like, a lot of that anger, it can come from hurt, it can come from wherever. But if we're looking at what's what's positive and what's what's um, gets us in a good place as a community, we're really we tend to be really hard on each other and harsh with each other. And I think you know we see this in our community, and then you see it like writ large across the U.S. Like we're so quick to just jump on each other and assume because somebody, and we'll say in this way, somebody used the wrong pronoun or the wrong name, they probably weren't trying to be disrespectful. And I feel like if we give each other some slack over some of it, um, or a lot of it, that we'll be in a much better place. So I, I love challenging people's, you know, constructs that are really static and rigid, and encouraging like a lot more fluidity and looseness about that so that we can kind of be really respectful of each other, but also have some fun and, and laugh about things like when we trip up and make mistakes. Yeah, I really like the way you say that. I mean, I definitely, I am a strong believer that our language creates a reality that we live in. And I completely recognize that um, language that we use has created a world um, or has could, could have potentially, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a linguist, um, and I'm not an expert in this, but it does make sense to me that um, some of the inequities in the world that we live in um, can, you know, stem from the way that we speak um, and, you know, has created hardships for people in their lives. But um, but like you say, with the anger around it, um, especially when someone didn't mean any harm, you know, it's, it's nasty to use words in a bad way. But, you know, for example, I wasn't educated very much in feminism. Mm -hmm. I didn't study it in college. I didn't have like you know, I studied economics in college, so my, um, I, you know, I had one class on feminist, like one feminist class, but, but really not a lot. Like enough to have the book, Our Bodies, Ourselves, but that was it. Like, you know, I mean, nothing yeah. really beyond that. Um, and that was definitely like, wow, this is a real book. Like I was shocked, you know, amazed by it and I thought it was amazing. Um, so like, you know, when I came out and, ended up in, as a lesbian, which was unexpected to me, there was a lot that I didn't know about what I was supposed to say or what I wasn't supposed to say. And meaning no harm at all, you know, definitely had some anger directed at me yeah. in, in many occasions, you know, um, you know, you know, like, Hey, how's, how's that girl going? How's it going with you and that girl? And it's like, I resent you calling her a girl, you know, yeah. getting mad, you know, Whoa, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I didn't mean it, you know, I was just, I was, I literally didn't know the difference at the time. Um, and, you know, especially as I create 
programs for, for, you know, for this community. And I'm really trying with all my heart and, and whatever this work that I'm doing to give information to people to make their lives better, to find the love that they seek, to have the confidence to come out and overcome, um, you know, the struggles that, that certainly held me back when I was going through them. You know, I'm really trying hard to create great stuff, but if I can't use certain language, then, then it goes nowhere. Like I was joking how, you know, I have these stickers that I give out that say hot lesbians are everywhere. And I love to hand them out to people because, you know, so many of my single lesbian friends complain. It's so hard to, it's so hard to meet someone. We're part of a minority. It's like, you know, um, there's just fewer of us. There's fewer, fewer options for us than, than the, than the rest of the population. And so I say that's a limitation mentality and I try and overcome it by changing the language. And this hot lesbians are everywhere sticker is, you know, one of the, the things that I'm trying to contribute with. But I was joking earlier with you, like, what if I had to say hot, um, or like, you know, beauty in the eye of the beholder, you know, for, you know, f- humans who identify as female, regardless of the gender assigned to them at birth, who are attracted to other humans who identify as female, regardless well, of gender assigned to birth. a lot more expensive. Are everywhere. Right. It's like the biggest <laughs> sentence I've ever seen. You're not speaking to anybody. You're not necessarily helping anybody because the, you know, if I say hot lesbians are everywhere, then there's a huge percentage of the population that's going to see that. You know, the lesbians who are single and lonely might see that and feel empowered by it. But if there's too much qualification before I write those words, then they're not going to see it. They're not going to get that empowerment kick, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, it's, words mean things. I'm totally with you. Language is incredibly powerful. I mean, the the main thing that I do for work is I'm a writer. Um, so the, the power of words and the power of language is, is something that I, I, I fully believe in. And, and, um, and I'm very careful to choose my words when I do, when I teach or when I do presentations. And at the same time, I feel like it, I wish we could just kind of agree on some, some basics. Like we need to start somewhere. We need to be able to say something, um, that's meaningful because if we get into this and I think, honestly, I think that's some of the nations to blow it out really largely. I think that some of the nations push back against this idea of political correctness. Um, I, I, I believe that I can probably find at least a kernel of something that I agree with um, on anybody's platform. So if we take this whole idea of political correctness and yeah, I think that if you take that to the extreme of the anti-political, what they call political correctness movement, um, it's, it can be incredibly disrespectful to how people identify and, um, you know, what, what people of, you know, marginalized communities have experienced, et cetera. Yet at the same time, on the other end of the spectrum, I think that we we chop apart language and we we do things in such a way so as to make them make it meaningless. I mean, when I was doing the new edition of my book, um, there is so much more around gender. You know, there's so much more understanding around gender, just so much more exploration around gender and what is what does it mean. But then there are all these terms that it would just be mind-boggling for for somebody who's you know in their 40s 50s 60s and up to try to figure this out so like if you're if your grandparent doesn't understand what the term cisgender means it doesn't mean that they hate you it doesn't mean that they're part of like this paradigm that must fall they just don't know what it means yet you know they their context is a little bit different and so like we get into all this anger and we get into hacking our language apart so that it becomes meaningless, meaningless, like with your stickers. So it's like, how do you find that space that's open 
to people and that communicates that you are respectful and open-minded, but you can use words that actually mean something to people, you know, that they have a frame of reference for. It's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. And then on the other hand, going back to the Colonel, that's true. You know, you can see that, um, the granddaughter talking to her grandparents and she wants to be, she, you know, identity is also not just language means something to us. Our identity means something to us. So if someone is identifying as like you say, cisgendered or whatever, um, you know, if that identity is very, very meaningful to them, it, it also can be quite frustrating to have someone you love so much and consider your family to not, um, be able to meet, you know, see you or know you in that identity. Sure. Um, and, and there's, it makes sense too, but there's got to be some sort of way where there's not so much anger. Like I was telling you the story how when I was handing out my hot lesbians <laughs> everywhere stickers at, at the Dyke March this year, I was going up to um, crowds and saying, you know, handing out the sticker and saying, hey, lady, happy pride. Hey, lady, happy pride. And of course, you know, if I, if I met any transgender guides, I'd say, hey, man. Um, and, and I was saying to you, if I, you know, there's nothing you could do to make a transgendered person feel better than just call them by the gender that they clearly are associated with. It's just such an easy thing to do. And I'm not stupid. I, of course, was doing that. But I'm talking about to feminine humans i was handing out these stickers saying hey lady and this this um this human approached me and said i really you know she said you know it's really not cool of you to show up at a dyke march and start addressing people as ladies not everyone here wants to like seize themselves that way and you're you're invading our safe space mm-hmm. um which was so clearly the last, like, again, I just, it was ignorance. I, I certainly wasn't trying to hurt anybody. And yeah. I guess she says, well, I'm just trying to educate you, which I guess to some degree I appreciate, but there was anger in it too. So, yeah, um, it's, like, it's like, you know, I'm just trying to educate you that you suck. You know, is that fair? I think there's this thing, cause I, I have worked in animal welfare too. They're very sensitive about using the term educate people because there's a power differential there. You know, it just in, in the implication of the term, I'm just, I'm trying to educate you. Some people are even sensitive to using that word. Like you could have gone back to her and being like, oh, educate me. Da, 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 let me educate you. Right. Oh, right. Oh, are you saying I'm not educated? <laughs> exactly. Let me drop some knowledge on you. I mean, yeah, the anger, it's funny because, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a, a lesbian identified woman. I'm a, I identify as a feminist. I'm a vegan. Like I know about, I know about being parts of communities that have a lot of anger in and seeing cause, cause each of those identities, there's a stereotype of that person that is so angry. And actually that's been something I'm doing a talk on, on uh, Friday night. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk about is, you know, where some of that anger comes from and how do we diffuse it? And, um, you know, this whole, the whole angry activist thing, how do we communicate better? Cause I'm very into nonviolent communication. So like, how do we get to the bottom of that and see where people are coming from? Because I think a lot of the times she might not have been trying to educate you. Her, her thing might've been to just express and emote and you happen to be the perfect person who she gave her an opportunity in her view to do that. I mean, it's, it's like sometimes people aren't trying to actually, you know, elevate you or whatever. They just have a lot of anger and they're looking for an opportunity to express it. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot wrapped up in that, but you know, at the end of the day, we could all be a little bit kinder with people. Um, and no, I don't think that it ever, that it means you ever need to stop pushing. I don't think that it means that you shouldn't ask for what you want. Like getting back to what you said about, you know, the identity and talking to your grandparents. I think we should always ask for what we want, um, and keep pushing for it. And at the same time, allow space for the understanding that it's going to take some people a while. And, 
we just keep going forward. Hopefully we're all going forward together in some way. I love how you bring it to the vegan, uh, the vegan space and that you make a really good point. You kind of, um, one up me there because I, I'm a vegetarian. I'm not vegan. Um, I'm a vegetarian there. I've already went up to. (laughs) Yeah. But right. Totally, totally way better. But, um, but I am a huge environmentalist. And so like, you know, uh, I get really angry about plastic, for example, like people just throwing, like just wasting plastic or, oh, your convenience is more important than, you know, like than the creatures in the ocean's right to live or, you know, your convenience is more important than whatever. I can go nuts right now and start getting super angry about plastic (laughs) stuff. So we all do have our things that make us, you know, angry. And whenever anything is sort of anti-environment or just disrespectful to the environment, I could totally flip a switch and become bonkers angry. So I guess that's just their thing the same way that um, vegan activism is your thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, um, but when it, the way that I try to approach uh, anything and like that, it's animal welfare. It's all that stuff is like, I, I'm, I'm very much not anti angry. I'm a pretty fiery person. So if any of my friends heard me say that I was anti anger, they would laugh so hard. Um, but I think of anger as a tool. So like anger at its best, it's like rocket fuel for change. You know, it's the thing that, that gets our attention and ignites us to do something. But it's, but if it goes unchecked and it gets out of control, then we start turning it onto each other, becomes unproductive. We starts eating it up. So it's like, how do you, how do you hit that balance point? Like that woman who, who yelled at you about the sticker. Well, that there's a certain amount of that anger that's fueling her work in feminism and, you know, whatever, lesbian activism, whatever it is she's doing. That's great because that, that's what initiated her that's her catalyst of doing something is she was angry about something but then what's happening is it's blowing up and she's taking it out on you who's like part of the team and trying to do something good as well so how do we how do we balance that and and release the anger that doesn't serve us i think is part of it and and a lot of that comes back to self-care which doesn't you know that's across the board it doesn't have to do with being you know certain sexual orientation or the way you eat or anything it's like like you said, we all have our thing. We all have our thing. So how do we how do we fight fight for what's important to us, but not like fight each other in the process? Totally. And anger expression and moving anger through your body and and honoring your anger and honoring the rage inside of yeah. you and letting it move through you as a spiritual practice is something that I of course celebrate. Yeah. Um, and I'm all for it. It's, you know, our emotional range is what makes us you know lucky to to be alive and to be human and. Um, you can't have like peaks of joy and celebration if you're denying the parts yeah, of us that are angry. Definitely. Um, we just hopefully, you know, uh, keep it in the right place, but you're right. Um, and, and you've made some great points. And speaking of like the practices and balance and, and how anger goes, you're, um, you were saying how you have these, you know, you probably take that into your relationship too, your ability to balance it because you were telling me also about your wife who's a counselor and an educator in this way. And so you guys, you know, do you have any like practices around anger that you guys do with each oh, other, yeah. holding space for it's that? It's mostly or? my. It's most. These are mostly my practices because I'm. I'm really. Um, it's funny because uh, if if you talk to a lot of people who know us um, at a certain level, they'd say like, "I'm the, I'm the the fiery one, and Mala is like the nice, you know, kind of gentle one." That's kind of our externals. If you kind of really get deep inside us, like I'm the soft, gushy, you know, one, and she's the one who's really like a fireball 
you know, deep inside. I mean, she's got like such strength of conviction and things that she, um, is really incredibly passionate about. And, but I think externally the way that it works in our relationship is I'm the one I do. I get crabby. I'll, I'll be the one who's like a little, um, more worked up about just life in general. One of the things about our relationship that it's cool. And, and I think part of it is because both of us had parents who modeled this. We never say nasty things to each other. Um, I've been in those relationships where people, they, they, they snap at each other and they say nasty things. And then later they're like, I'm sorry, I was mad. And, and that's a way of being, we never do that. We never call each other names. We never swear at each other. We never, we express that we're displeased with each other <laughs> for sure. Um, but that's just not there. Um, it's just, that's something that I really appreciate. But one of my practices is to verbalize when something's bothering me or like if I'm worked up, like I can say, like I'm really worked up about something right now. I need to work through that at a certain level before I can talk to you about it because I'm an internal processor and Mala's like, talk, 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 let's talk it out, talk it out, talk it out. And I'm like, I, I haven't even gotten to it yet for myself. And she's like, well, let's just tell me where you are. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it yet. You know? So part of my, my practice is instead of getting irritated and pushing away is to articulate, Hey, I'm not there yet. I want to talk to you about it. I know you're dying to talk about it because you love to talk and process and everything all the time. Um, give me a minute or 10 minutes or 10 hours and I'll come to you with something worth talking about. But right now, if we try to do that, it's going to, I'm just going to get more frustrated. Right. So I've learned how to articulate that rather than, you know, like shutting down or walking away or you know, doing any of those other things. Um, because I, because that is my, my knee jerk is to be really passionate and to have strong feelings about something right away. Um, and it's not that I go off or, or, you know, I have these, you know, I wouldn't say like I have a hot temper or anything, but I recognize this about myself and then I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna let that sink through the layers a little bit till it gets to my little, you know, gooey soft center. And then I can be kinder about it and have a little bit more perspective. So, um, that's one of the, and, and, and Mala used to, it, it used to drive me nuts because she's like, just, has so much patience. I mean, she could just hang out all day. And the, and the thing is like, that sounds great. And it is really great. But if you're somebody who is like kind of fiery and all this stuff like me, I'm just like, don't you, don't you get worked up? Like, don't you, you know, don't you ever just want to, you know, um, freak out about something. And, uh, she just has so much patience and perspective that her calmness makes me own my own stuff because she's not reactionary. Right. So we've all been in that relationship where it's like you're worked up about something or you've had that experience and then you just kind of put it on the other person. You like get them fired up about something and so that you can either engage with them or then they're worked up. She never does that. She's like, she will not give you that. You have got to own your own stuff with her. And it's like that would drive a lot of people nuts. I mean, being in a relationship with her would drive a lot of people nuts because you have to come correct, you know. So that's one. The, the biggest way that affects me, I think, is, is dealing with my tendency to be a little bit more reactionary and angry. Um, but it's helped me in the whole rest of my life and in my work realize how I process things and, and you know, not be as, as reactionary with other people. Realize there's a certain thing that's happening in me that I need to go through first that has nothing to do with the other person. And then when I get there and realize what that was, then I can relate to them from a space of 
you know, because people are like, how are you so compassionate and patient with people? And, you know, when I when I talk about certain things, and I'm like, oh, I should take you along on my process. It is not compassionate and patient from the get go. It's like, that's the point I arrive at after a lot of work. So, yeah, that's amazing. Um, she's so like, so evolved and so pushing you to evolve. And it yeah. sounds like so able to not get triggered by your trigger. Yes, um, absolutely. Uh, so when you go off, she's able to stay and, and my girlfriend does that for me too. Um, which is amazing. Um, we're both really, really lucky. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I can see why if you, um, just go into your lower self and start freaking out and, you know, tossing all this stuff in her direction and she doesn't pick it up yeah. and toss it back to you, then you're just standing there kind of, like, okay. you know, <laughs> to see what you just did. And now you got to deal with it. And that oh, makes... I, guess, I guess I'll pick this up. Honestly, now right, that... I just threw it everywhere. I guess I'll go clean up now. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm a parent and we have a two year old, um, it's a lot like parenting and, and I'm, and I'm the toddler. I'm definitely the toddler in this scenario. I mean, I have learned also not to be reactionary with my daughter because if I react to her, it just elevates her. It escalates the bad mood or the temper tantrum that she's having. And if I'm just like, okay, I see you as this person having this experience, you know, like this is what I'm saying until I, and you're just calm and patient with her. Most of the time it'll die down. And so like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely the toddler in our relationship, but it works. It works. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, so what was that inner dialogue recommendation? I see you as oh, see a person you. having That's this experience. Is like the secret on, on Mala's side and on, you know, I get to experience this as being a parent is to not let yourself get wrapped up in the other person's experience of their emotions. Um, so it's like, it's easier to say than to do, but like somebody's coming at you and they're, they're all whipped up about something if you can go into like this observer mode and take a step back and be like, okay, I'm seeing this person having this experience rather than stepping into the vortex with them and getting all whipped up um, or taking it personally or being like the fact that you're screaming, crying in the case of my toddler, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage with that. Like I'm not going to be like, wow, this, I hate this noise. This is driving me crazy. Why isn't she just over this? You know, I, I, I'm more like, and take it personally. Exactly. You can't, yeah. You can't take it personally. I mean, you can take it personally. Most parents do. And and we all do. Even when you try not to, you do at some point. And then you kind of, if you're lucky, you get yourself back out of it. But it is the taking it personally that makes those temper tantrums and things frustrating. And it's the same thing in the like adult relationships. If you take everything personally that the other person has going on, um, it's hard not to engage with them and then give all that stuff back to them. But it's like she doesn't take it personally. So if I'm if I'm, you know, worked up about something, she can kind of be in observer mode and be like, okay, I'm going to hold this space for you. Like I'm respecting that you have these feelings. It's not like she's ignoring me or downplaying anything, but it's like, I'm not going to get involved with it. I'm going to let you do this for a while. And when we're ready to engage and you want to talk about this or let me know how I can help you with this, then let's do that. But until then, like, I'm just going to let you own this. Yeah, it's really important. And then from there, you get to grow with that which you own. Yes. Um, yep. And it's such a an empowered place. Um, any other practices you can recommend? These are great ones. My favorite one that our friends, a couple friends, have asked me about, and that I've that I've um, told some some classes about too. We we've started we've called it honest wildfire. 
<laughs> so um, the, the thought being that like, you know, natural wildfires are really healthy. They help to, now that we live in Colorado, I know, I know even more about this, but they help to clear out the underbrush and, and make it so that, you know, natural healthy ecosystems um, can thrive. But when you don't have that, so you have all this burn up, this buildup of like dead wood. And then when a fire does happen, it's devastating. You know, it absolutely wipes out. It's not a healthy contained fire. So the way that we kind of applied this to our relationship was this idea that um, it was this, I think there was this one specific time when she came to me and was like, I want to tell you something. I'm afraid you're going to get really upset about it. And it's not about you, but I'm afraid it's going to hurt your feelings. And I can't remember what it was specifically. It was something to do with like an ex-boyfriend or something. It wasn't any trespass or something like that. But I was like, okay, you know, I, all right. So tell me, you know, I got myself in a frame to hear what she had to say. And so she told me all this stuff and it was totally fine. It was absolutely fine. But, she, but I realized she was right. If, if, if she had just kind of told me that or if it had come out in the middle of like, um, a time when we were not seeing eye to eye on something, I could have taken it really personally. And what we realized from that, that, that experience was like, she set the frame. She set the frame by saying like, I need to talk to you about something. I'm afraid you're going to take it personally. It's really not about you. And so I could get myself into a mindset of hearing it with those ears. And so we developed that as kind of a practice where it was like honest wildfire. Like I feel like there's something that's here that I need to clear out. Because if I don't clear it out, it could like ignite farther on in our relationship and like cause some actual damage when it doesn't need to do that. So it's like, I need to clear the air. I need to clear out the dead wood um, on something. And the reason that I'm doing it is because I love you. The reason I'm doing it is for the health of our relationship. And so if you can hear with those ears, um, you can actually hear like, like a lot of stuff. Like the one, the one of my friends who had asked me about that practice was he was having issues with his wife. And he couldn't talk to her about what the problems were that he felt in their relationship because she took everything so personally that she would just shut down. She couldn't have a conversation about it. So we were talking about like, if you can set a frame with her, like that she can understand you're doing this because you want to stay with her. You're doing this because you, you love her. It's not, you're not criticizing her. You're like, how do we get in a better place? So honest wildfire, I feel like has been a really good practice for us. What I like about what you're saying with that, um, is because a lot of times when we communicate with each other, um, if, if someone's going to get triggered, a lot of times what's getting triggered is that fear of rejection yeah. or fear of loss or fear of being abandoned, right? Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to say this and it means you don't love me. Yes. Um, you're going to say this and it means you don't, you don't want me. You're going to leave me. You know, all those things that probably come up when we are with someone. But by her saying, I'm telling you this because I don't want to lose you. I'm telling you this because I, I want us to be together. With, you know, so that you know that there's no reason to have that fear of rejection or fear of loss of love or, or fear of abandonment because the, the purpose of this is the opposite of yeah. that. It can kind of be a better delivery for the message. I love yeah. that. Yeah. This is, it, it kind of relates to this other thing of, we saw <laughs> the biggest loser, if you can believe it or not. Have you ever seen that show? They, we used to have to do all of of these, I don't know if it's still on or not, but they would have to do all of these physical challenges. And there was this one challenge where they were standing on suspended ropes and they had to work their way across together. And the only way that they could do it is if they leaned equal weight into each other. So their bodies are forward and like their shoulders are touching and their kind of arms are around their shoulders. But if one person got scared and backed away, it would throw off their balance. Right. And so it's like, 
you know, that's another like kind of verbal cue we'll give to each other. Usually Molly giving it to me, like, I need you to lean in. Like, I need you to lean in as much as I'm leaning in. Like if you get scared and backed away, it triggers me to get scared and backed away, back away, because that was a behavior that she had was like, she would get, you know, afraid and pull away. And she would say, you know, cause she would be the first one to say, like in some of her past relationships, she had some, a little bit shady behavior, um, nothing too terrible, but, but if she didn't feel like the person was trusting her, she would kind of be untrustworthy in some ways. And so it's like, I need you to trust me because I will be trustworthy if you trust me. So it was like, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like this lean in idea that, that I, that we remind ourselves, like we both need to trust each other on stuff. We, and I'll tend to do it because I tend to take stuff on myself that we should be handling together. I'll internalize it. And I think that's, that's just a function of my role in the relationship because I'm the person who, you know, she's, she's home with our daughter more and I'm like making my way and making our money more, um, that I'll take stuff on myself rather than sharing it with her. And she reminds me like, you gotta lean in, you gotta let me share this with you, you know, rather than trying to solve things by yourself. So, yeah. That's great. She's uh, really quite wise and very good at deepening. Yeah, intimacy, I'm super so lucky. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, and she's a sex educator as well, you were saying, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So I definitely would love to yeah. have her on the podcast and, and have a great, uh, you know, see what else she has to teach everyone. I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah. So I, um, I want, I want to be mindful of your time, but, um, I want to just make sure you could tell everyone where to find you. Um, you know, where, where, what are you working on that you're excited about? Where can people learn more about the work that you're doing? Um, well, I've got the new edition, um, for GLBTQ, which is the book for, um, teens coming out. That'll be the third edition, I think, next fall, so September, October 2018. Um, I do a lot of stuff. I do a lot of different writing for, for you know, guest blogging. I've got a, um, one or two more book projects that are kind of in, in early days. And you can find me at kellymadrone.com. I've got some um, – I do narrative storytelling. I've got some of my performances on there. And, in fact, I have the story of Margaret and I, Marla, getting together – which is kind of funny. And if you want the the sort of dramatic version of it, um, in told in 10 minutes, you can see it there. Um, but I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a writing coach. Um, and somehow in all of that, people come to me and ask me for advice on, on stuff. So, on um, compassionate living and, um, dealing with empathy and things like that. So I give talks about stuff like that as well. Well, I'm glad I came to you for that very thing. <laughs> it's been an amazing conversation. I had so much fun. Um, I knew getting you on a call and recording it would be the right idea, the right thing to do. And it, you've, you've proved me correct. So thank you so much yeah. for this time, Kelly. Um, you're amazing. And I hope we can do it again one day soon. Yeah. And you got to send me some of those stickers. <laughs> Hot lesbians are everywhere. Are. I will absolutely. Are. You know what? If you can't find any, just make one like I did. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. If you can't find a hot lesbian for yourself, um, make yourself a hot, I don't know what. Hot non-identifying awesome. wife who, yeah, is willing to take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, then subscribe now so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you want more amazing free resources that will help you develop more self-confidence and help you make yourself more attractive to the women you desire, then go to jordanamichelle.com where you will find some of my best secrets all for free, including the ultimate guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life forever, 
a quiz that will tell you what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you finally meet her, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes that lesbians make when coming out, a quiz that will tell you what kind of TV series your coming out story would be made into if they made one, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind in case I happen to know or meet a perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help you find love. All of this is free on jordanamichelle.com. And don't forget to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook so I can learn more about you and what you're up to in the world. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Women Wanting Women. <laughs>